My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 230 of Legally Clueless. I'm very glad that you are part of the family if this is your first time listening to this podcast. Audio episodes like this go out every single Monday and you can stream them on Spotify or everywhere else you get your podcasts on. Before we get any further though, I have such good news that I've been sitting on for such a long time, but finally I can share it with you because you are invited. First things first, do you remember this story? Oh my God, Adele. When I left my marital home for good, eh? underline for good, eh? <laughs> I had my newly rented apartment in the suburbs of Nairobi. But my tailoring business that was flourishing in the Nairobi Central Business District was also set on fire. In fact, my mother said, we don't go to court. God will fight for us. But if, if this kind of violence is because of mere goats and cows, why don't you come and take your animals? So my mother called him and said, I don't want to lose my child because of uh, two goats and two cows. They arrive, they refuse to enter the house. Uh, my mother is called, she comes to the front door. Oh my God, Adele. Once the dowry was returned, do you know what I felt? Freedom. And what about this one? I had domestic issues with my then, can I call her wife, engaged uh, something, girlfriend. We were not understanding each other. She'd quit alcohol, apparently, but she also picked up Mira. So I found out that she was drinking while I'm, I'm at work, which brought in a problem. And she was a violent alcoholic. So one day I came home and the house felt like black ice. So I asked her, have you been drinking? She was like, no. Okay. I left it there. When I went to the wardrobe, I just moved one piece of clothing and then bottles just came out. Bottles. And how's about this old school story? So this was us in bed and I receive a call and it's a strange number. It's not saved on my phone. So I pick up and it's a woman and she asks me, are you with Brian? It's such a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask who is this. <laughs> You've just asked me if I'm with the person who I can, I'm currently sleeping next to. <laughs> Told her why. And she's just like, um, if, if you're here with him or if you're there with him, please let him know that um, he's having a situation in the house. And once he's done there, when he's done with you, tell him to come home quickly. And I'm like, ah, home. He doesn't live here. <laughs> First, who are you? <laughs> Later on, I discovered that that was his wife. We'll get this. The first ever Legally Clueless Live is happening on the 26th of August. I'm so excited because this is your chance to witness, listen, and enjoy powerful African stories live on stage. And we will be finding out what happened next in those three stories I've just played you. So Kadzo's story about the 75,000 bob curtains. And where is she now in terms of relationships? Has anything changed? Did she get the curtains back? Was Shira's story on leaving a toxic relationship and an ADHD diagnosis? How is he navigating living and work and, hey, maybe even relationships? Because he did mention he had gotten into a new relationship in his story. And last but definitely not least, Rose's story about her dowry return ceremony. 
I love listening to Rosling because she talks about relationships from an older African woman's perspective. And she believes in something that slowly but surely I'm starting to think is true. That a woman shouldn't have just one partner her entire life. Oh my goodness. They are all going to be on stage alongside me. And we're going to be finding out the next chapter in their stories. So join us for Legally Clueless Live. And it'll be awesome because I get to meet you. If you always wanted to be on the podcast, there's going to be an opportunity for you to record your story demos. I'm very happy that we're finally doing this because I remember our first storytelling event stroke party was meant to happen the same month COVID struck in Kenya. And so that just like kills my mojo around events. But we are back. So I hope to see you there 26th of August, 1 p.m. at Baraza Media Lab, which is in Riverside, Nairobi. Tickets are a thousand bob and you can grab them right now on Hassle Sasa or just go to our website, which is legallycluelessafrica.com. I've put all of them links in the show notes. Spread the word. Our family's finally linking up. Okay, back to this episode. I can stop gushing and just being super excited about the 26th. We're going to listen to part two of Esther's story. Listen to this. And now we're in the back in the ambulance. We tried to make it to Mombasa and we didn't. And he told me, Mommy, I'm tired. And I'm like, baby, just get some rest and then you will be okay. Like, I didn't know what tired meant at that point. And all of a sudden he was quiet. And I looked at him and he was gone. He started to give him CPR and then called the driver and said to, they knew their, their, their way anyway, said, can we stop at such and such a facility? And we stopped there and it was like, what you see in the movies, like we got there, quick action, they were throwing him to those guys are catching him. And you know, the CPR machine, the one, they count down, two, three, clear. It was like a lot of body experience. And... So that's coming up a little later in this episode, but just a bit of a catch up. Last week, I spent the entire week teaching my podcast masterclass that we did in partnership with Power254. And oh my goodness, I really enjoyed it. You know, first and foremost, my students were the most vibrant group of people I have ever been honored enough to meet and to teach. I can't wait for their shows to come out. I think they're just going to add more flavor into this podcasting space for Africans. So I'm very excited about it. And some of them have already started recording their shows. Some are already podcasting and wanted to refine their skills. It was just so wonderful. And then I really just enjoyed teaching, which is really crazy because I feel like I've just stumbled on something that I'm good at and that's in line with my personal mission you know in being of service to my continent I think that's super important to me and so to be doing it around things that I'm passionate about and then to be enjoying it so important to me so I had so much fun I was exhausted every day because talking (laughs) is really exhausting it seems but I was so fulfilled I was just so fulfilled oh my goodness but I'm back in my home that I had missed because for the whole of last week I was in Nairobi and so I'd missed my plants. I'd missed my flowers. 
I couldn't keep an eye on my gardener, who sometimes can be very lazy. <laughs> so I miss my home. I miss my home so much. And I'm super happy to be back in like my safe space. But I was so spoiled. Oh, my goodness. I stayed with my friend and she just took such good care of me. She cooks so well. Oh, my goodness, Kazu. She cooks so well. I ate so much. I'm dreaming of this like fish she made me right now. And I'm not even a fish person. Sorry, I'm going on a tangent just because I've just remembered the food. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's back to my substandard cooking. <laughs> anyway, I had a good week. I was loved on and I did something I'm passionate about. And I hope you had a good week as well. Now, I want us to go into part two of Esther's story. As I said in part one, which I suggest you listen to before you listen to part two, because it's just not going to make sense if if you don't. But hey, no rules. But I strongly suggest I met her through Paraja Cancer Support. And in this second part, she experiences what I think is every mother's worst nightmare. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. In September, this is 2020. We had the big break. We actually tried to go back to India in June, but we couldn't raise the money. Then it was COVID, but we didn't. So we carried on managing. And in September, magically, he started making his own blood. Like a year after transplant, a year of living on other people's blood. And I remember when we went for the tests for his levels, we went to our local place in Gilgil and it was they were good. And then we went to a bigger lab in Nakuru, like in disbelief. When I told him, actually, your platelets have gone up, your blood has gone up without transfusion. I think this is it. This is the end of transfusion. And the journey from Nakuru to Gilgil, we were both so quiet and he was sitting there. I remember that day I allowed him to sit at the front in the car. He always sat at the back and I always used to watch him through the rearview mirror. And I was like, Al, you're so quiet. And it's like, Mommy, I just can't believe that God has done this for me. He has done it. And he was just sitting like this, like a, like very, very pensive, like distant thoughts. And oh my goodness. You know, some people get excited in jumping in joy, but this for us, we couldn't even jump in joy. You it needed to sink. We got home, I called the doctors, and we were all so excited. We kept checking, and the levels kept coming up, and we were like, oh my goodness, we are in the clear. And we were indeed in the clear. That was September, October, and after six months, the doctor said, because you lose your baby vaccines when you do the transplant because it erases everything. He said, okay, now I think he can start getting his baby shots so that he can go back to normal life because all the indicators were on the positive. And he started getting his baby shots and we sort of, we were still very careful in terms of being like cleanliness and, and sanitizer and all that. All this time, like when we were in India and everything, remember just before his diagnosis, we had gone to the coast. So we... I mean, we all love the beach, don't we? And one of his prayers was he just wants to be a child and make sandcastles and go on the beach. And uh, 
I remember one of these friends of mine, Beatrice, had a dream where she had dreamt of us on a holiday on the beach with him as a teenager. And we really did hang on to that dream. So in February 2021, we did go to the beach. By that time, I had to seek clearance from like his doctor here, from his doctor in India. I remember talking to the doctor in India when we were at the airport um, in JK, going to fly to the coast. And we were organizing his review in April. We even had a date when we were going to fly there. And we're like, so you guys will come. You can come for two weeks. And I said, fine. So we're going to the coasts. When we come back, I will start processing the visas and booking the ticket. And then, yeah, because it was mid-Feb. So we had like a month and a half. And in that month and a half, work-wise, it can get really crazy. So I, I like planning ahead. And we went to the coast and had the time of our life. And because his swimming lessons had been interrupted when he he initially got sick. So this time he was able to swim and he learned to float. And I videoed him floating. He was like, why do you have to video me? And then Damaris, again, because now she lives at the coast, they came to see us. We were in Watamu. They came to see us at the hotel and he showed off his floating, his swimming, and we had lunch and we had such a good day. And that was the weekend, and we were to stay for a week. On the Wednesday, he he seemed a bit off. On the Thursday, he complained of pain in, in his belly and his thighs, which I attributed to, I thought it's muscle. I gave him paracetamol, like these, how the doctors had taught me to manage. And then the pain was not going away. So I had to get an ambulance and we took him to a facility and they tested him and they couldn't see anything wrong with him. And so we were in Watamu, so we went to Malindi and I, of, of course, had called the doctor in Nairobi and uh, she talked to the doctors there and it was a small non-specialist facility, but they had the basic tests. Anyway, she was like, Mama Al, you see, these, if they can't find anything, you need to move to a bigger facility. So they recommended I go to a bigger facility in Mombasa. And now we're in the, back in the ambulance and um, we tried to make it to Mombasa and we didn't. Yeah, so at least they gave him some pain medication. And um, I remember when we were waiting, when I was on the call, with the doctor, like planning, now you have to go to the Aga Khan Mombasa. And then I went back to him and he told me, mommy, I'm tired. And I'm like, baby, just get some rest and then you will be okay. Like you, you know, God will give you strength. He'll give you energy. I didn't know what tired meant at that point. And um, so we went back in the ambulance. And I asked him, how is your pain now? He was like, better. And he gave me a thumbs up. And I was there, like, at the back of the ambulance with the paramedic. And because the driver was at the, it's the, the pickup type, where you have the driver's cabin and you have the back, the Red Cross ones. Yeah, and uh, so we are trying to make it. It's I think that's, like, the longest journey. And uh, when we were around the Khalifi area, he he was mumbling all along. 
even if I couldn't really make out what was what exactly he was saying, because my brain was also going at a million hours, a million, whatever. Yeah, really fast. And all of a sudden he was quiet. And I looked at him and he was gone. And I looked at the paramedic and I couldn't even talk. I'm like, he started to give him CPR and then called the driver and said to, they knew their, their, their way anyway, said, can we stop at such and such a facility? And we stopped there and it was like, what you see in the movies, like, we got there, quick action, they were throwing him to those guys, are catching him and running and fixing things. And, you know, the CPR uh, machine, the one they count down, two, three, clear. It was like an out-of-body experience. And I went back to the ambulance. I was praying. By the way, he wanted to be a chef. And all along, I loved tea. He kept telling me the way he will make tea for me when I'm a shoshu, a shoshu like a, a, a grandma. And I went back to the ambulance and I was praying and I reminded God, he has not finished. He's not become a chef yet. One of the other things he would say is that he would also open a restaurant where all the poor people, all the people who can't afford food would come and eat for free. And I was like reminding God, remember that restaurant he wants to make for people who can't afford food food to come and eat for free. I think he would have done great things charity-wise if he was given a chance. But um, yeah, so one of the doctors came, a lady, I remember, and said, no much like we tried. You haven't finished trying. Please go back and try. Like, you haven't finished. You can't have finished trying. Trying doesn't stop. And of course I got hysterical. Like they tried to calm me down and to explain to me and like he had been through so much. Like the 40 days in ICU, he had gone through a heart failure twice and then for him to go because of a thigh and tummy pain. Like it seemed like such a cheat, like he had survived sepsis after his transplant. You know, sepsis, that really nasty infection where I remember even like the doctors had called my doctor friend to explain to me that things could change in a minute. Like I, at that point, I could see it coming if it, if it came. But at this point, so we had to bite the bullet and eventually they took me to him and I kissed him and I held him and I just couldn't believe he was gone. He was at peace. He just looked like he could he was going to wake up and say his jolly Hello mommy, good morning mommy, it's another day. But that was it. He never woke. He never told me one more hug, mommy. One more you know he always squeezed in one more, like, what, the very least one, mommy, the very last one, even when we read, it was like, mommy, just read me one more story, the very last one. Even when we were playing games, he would be 
like one last one. Always try to squeeze in one more. And I guess through his cancer fight, he fought incredibly. He squeezed in one more so many days. If you look at the first day he was diagnosed, he fought for four years. I guess he did his best and the body can only take so much. He was always upbeat, like he was always in his element, even when he was going through the worst. I was trying to make sense of it. You know, sometimes when you get things that you can't fight, you have no odds of fighting death when it's happened. So you can only try and reason and come up with so many theories. And I was like, his love for the beach is probably what carried him through because he really wanted to go back to the beach, which he did. And that is where he decided to exit at the coast. I'm still not at peace with God because I ask so many questions. You have those bad guys, the thieves, the the murderers, they, they get away with it. They live to an old ripe age of 90, 80. Yet this innocent child who was nothing but pure innocence, he had to go through such a hard life. Half of his life, he was eight. He was about to turn nine, but he got diagnosed when he was just about to turn five. So more than half of his life, he was fighting cancer. Why? Anyway, I sometimes I'm like, okay, I've settled for never understanding, but then that doesn't take the question away. That doesn't make me feel less disenfranchised. Yeah, the questions are there. The pain is there. For me, with my love of outdoors, I decided to because there's nothing else I can do. I have lots of his happy memories. I still have his brother. We talk about him almost every day. I thought maybe to do something to help other people going through the same. I have lots of people who connect me with, like other parents um, going through the struggle like I went through. I still don't have the courage to visit them in hospitals. It's still even coming to Nairobi at one point, I couldn't. Even when I came for my job interview at my current place of work, I couldn't drive myself to Nairobi because that whole trip, that whole road, I have memories for almost every stop or for almost everything. A comment he made, where we stopped, the things like, it's a bittersweet road for me. I have so many good memories, but I have... Also, it triggers a lot of pain in me. So I still can't do hospital, like, to go see kids in wards and all that. Um, I had to have a medical procedure myself last year, and, man, I think that was hard. To the point where the doctor was like, would you like us to cancel and do it another day? Because I was hysterical. I was a wreck. So taking it a day at a time, and because my happy place is the outdoors, my happy place is walking, running, hiking, climbing mountains and hills. So two years ago, uh, 2021, uh, when it was still fresh, like I didn't know what to do with all this love, with all these emotions, how do I process them? How do I, because every day seemed to be getting harder from February up to that July. And I decided to some of the things I had done in between was go on camel safaris with um, 
Bobong Camus, John and Amanda Parrot. Some of it I went on school trips. Then I asked questions. So how do you guys get the Camus here? Like all the, the fascinating things. And they were like, oh, they walk like all the way from Rumuruti to to Gilgil and to the Masai Mara. And I was like, oh my goodness, that sounds epic. And they were like, would you like to join? I'm like, I would love to join. And I thought, why don't I make this worthwhile? And why don't I use it, okay, for my own healing and also to try and touch the lives of others, especially other families going through cancer treatment for their children. That's how one of my good friends, Katie Ong, I worked with her. She's like, you know, you could raise money for Faraja. And I was like, yes, because actually Faraja was there for us in in a huge way. Like I can't even describe. We're like, yeah, that's a very good idea. So we contacted Faraja. It's a cancer support trust. So they help people, both patients and caregivers who are going through cancer treatment. Some of it is just to try and explain what to expect to make sense of, of the journey. They also have financial, an extent of financial assistance. They give that and they they give distraction therapy, especially for the children, where they organize activities for them, like craft activities. They also do some diet supplements. They, they give them milk and other stuff. They also give counseling in terms of diet, other therapies like yoga and exercise. They do like fundraising for the patients and for the activities that they engage them in and their caregivers. And a lot of education because when you are going through that journey, you have so much on your mind. You don't know whether you're coming or going. You don't know what the right thing is. There's a lot of myth about just blend beetroot for them and feed them on beetroot. And Faraja engages nutritionists and professionals who come and explain to you what you actually need and what you need to do and how you need to do it. Even basic care of yourself as the patient or the caregiver, they help you with that. Also negotiate things like NHIF. You do not know where to start. So they tell you this is the form you fill and this is where you take it and they tell you which office to go to. They help you make the journey lighter in any way within their means. Yes, so I decided to raise money for them. I remember they were there for us. They held our hand. They, there's a guy called Philip. He came to the ward. He was like a big gentleman and, and, and I was like, what are this guy, is he a doctor or what's he come to tell me? At that time, I was very skeptical and suspicious of everyone. Like, I was going through so much. And he came and brought out this coloring book and he started talking to me and asking the challenges I was facing and I explained to him. And at some point, he didn't have words. And sometimes you don't even need someone to say something. You just want to know that they understand, even if they just sit there with you, knowing that they understand until there came a time when they could actually spring into action and help, which they did. They footed some of his bills. And even when we were going to India, they had looked for a facility which would give us a huge discount, which was very gracious, though we had already decided on another facility. So they were 
happy to help in any way they could. So for me, because I, sometimes you do, people have different needs because they have experience in this, in knowing what patients need and how best to help them. Some of them, they give them like bus fare to, or they pay for them hostels. If they're from like up country, they don't have a place to stay because not everyone goes to a, host, a residential hospital. So I decided to raise some money for them in Al's honor. He had a big, big heart. Like, remember the restaurant for the people who could not afford the food? And he would have become such an advocate. Even when we would drive past donkeys and they're carrying luggage, and he would say, people who are making the donkeys carry that luggage. And then, bless him, I miss him so much. And then I would explain to him, now Al, the way life works, everyone has to, to work for what they get. So he is helping the person to carry the luggage, maybe to get some money. And in return, the person will look after him. will look after the donkey. So they'll give him food. They'll give him a home. Like to try and explain that symbiotic relationship between the donkey and the owner. And I was like, okay, but does he have to make him carry so much? And I'm like, okay, Al, here we are. Anyway. So many memories. Following his kind heart and also what people did for him, his treatment took in excess of 30 million for the years he was treated or probably more. If you include like petrol and all those things. I feel because I can't be there for everyone to hold their hand, to explain to them what to expect. Why don't I help Faraja do what they can, however little I can. So in 2021, I, on invitation from Bobong Kamos, John and Amanda, I embarked on this journey with a friend from Gilgil. And then another guy was also like a colleague was cycling, but for another cause, for a different cause. But we were going for Faraja. And uh, we walked 155 kilometers uh, from Gilgil Soisambu Ranch to the Sekenani Gate of the Masai Mara. It was amazing in terms of processing your 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 issues your feelings your emotions dealing with your inner self and the grief and it was also amazing because we were able to raise in excess of 800,000 for Faraja because my Gilgil community took it up upon themselves and did other things to help uh, there's a lady called Katie Keith who has a son called Gray who was in the same class as my son and they did a hair shaving for him which also raised a lot of money now to add on to the kitty to make the excess of 800. So I feel that it was it was a good thing. It gave me a lot of peace. And knowing that I did right by Al, he would be very proud of me for doing that. He knows that I love my hikes and he would always ask about my hikes when I came back because I still hiked when he was there. Like, mommy, how was your hike? And I actually hiked with him. We climbed Longonot together on 30th of January before he passed on the 19th of Feb. So it is, it's the way I feel that I can deal with this. And because it went so well in, in 2021, last year, they invited me to do it again, but I was having some health issues. I couldn't do it. Felt so bad about it. But then I have to look after myself first, you know. Your cup has to be full for you to be able to share. So this year, I am feeling good. I'm at a good place health-wise. I, I feel that I'm ready for an adventure of that nature, which is not just for myself, but also for children fighting cancer. 
So John and Amanda, again, they invited me. They've been sending me all the, the, the treks, like, this is what you're doing, this is what you're doing. And because they do tourist treks, when they're coming back, they don't have tourists. And therefore, they allow their crew to look after me as I take this trek. So they've been to Lake Victoria. So they're currently on their way back. So I'll meet them at the Masai Mara, West Mara, at a place called Kauai, from where we will walk back through Narok, not necessarily Narok town, but they have their roots, through the Mau, the water towers, and then we walk all the way back to Gilgil. It's supposed to cover at around 290 kilometers or 300 kilometers, double what I did before. So woohoo. And I have two amazing girls doing this with me, Joyce Kimani and Catherine Kirifa. And then Catherine is a friend from high school. We met in Form 1 in Tumutumu Girls in 19, I won't say that. Many, some years back, let's say some years back. Yeah, just the other day, you know. And so those two incredible girls are working with me. It's rough. I told them, you girls are not used to the bush because we have to wake up, walk, where the afternoon finds us, we start looking for a place to camp. Last time we camped in like government schools, like primary schools. So we would, one person would walk in and request nicely and they give you a field, you pitch tent for your camels and your, your cells. Sometimes you don't even get to wash because there's no river, there's no water. So you have to be ready to live rough. Yeah, you, you just throw yourself out of your comfort zone. You know where, like, you walk in the shower and you're like, do I have a hot shower or a cold shower? Now you have no shower. You know which shower gel am I going to use, which spray. So in this case, the most important thing is a place to lay your head after a long walk and some food. So those are the priorities. The walk actually starts on the 17th of July from the Masai Mara. So we have to get ourselves there. We walk back. We're hoping to take about 10 days, give or take. That is if we can survive the 100, the 300 kilometers. I have a lot of faith in myself and the girls. So we will try and we're not planning to let anyone down. So we will post a lot of updates on social media. I'll be posting on my Instagram, which is long name, The Teacher Who Hikes and Treks, and on Facebook, um, Esther W. Mwangi. So to support, uh, the message will be shared, but it, there's an M-Pesa pay bill, which is 509-700, and the account will be for Al, F-O-R-L-A-L. So like in memory of Al, I'm doing this for Al, my, my little sunshine angel. Now, I am actually doing this in, in anticipation of um, September. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, all month September. So I am going to be making a lot of noise about childhood cancer to raise awareness and hopefully funds for Faraja. So I will keep the fundraiser going even after the trek. It's not just limited to those 10 days when you're walking. So, and it's always open. It's always open year round. Faraja, if anyone has a donation to make towards children fighting cancer, and there's a lot of them. If you read the statistics, so many children get diagnosed with cancer. They always need our help. So, yeah, so you, they can make a donation to Faraja. 
Yeah, so 509 Mpesa pay bill, 509 for all. It will always come in handy. There is no cancer season. Childhood cancer is with us every single day, unfortunately. My work is going to be hopefully taking 10 days, but outside those 10 days, right now, we have children in the ward. They won't wait for the walk and they won't stop being sick until uh, after I've done the walk. There will always be a need. How can I put eight years of pure joy into one memory? Okay, I'll try maybe three. One of them is, it's not one memory, it was a pattern, was how my son loved giving me flowers. He would just go and pluck a tiny little flower and give it to me. And sometimes when he didn't get a flower, he would even give me a grass blade, a blade of grass. That is priceless. His love of making me happy as his mother was pure and immense. He would always bring me a napkin at the table, not just me, everyone, when we were about to have dinner. And he would go and bring napkins and then make sure that the table is set properly and now we can eat the chef in him. And uh, like on Mother's Day, the last Mother's Day that um, he was still with us, he loved to surprise me like with breakfast in bed as much as he was so little. Gosh, the girls would have broken his heart into a million pieces. Anyway, so he would get me breakfast in bed. So he would get like people in the house to help him, his brother. So they would come busting in my room with a tray. He's, he's, he's got the omelette. He knows I, I love eggs. And so he would always get help to make an omelette. So he would get the omelette. Then the brother would be carrying my tea in my favorite mug. And I get a tray in bed. And he made me a stress ball from a balloon and some grains. I still have that. He was like, mommy, you know, sometimes you get so stressed. Because I did. And I didn't hide that from him because it was life. And I believe in children, okay, in as much as they don't know the gross details, but at least they see you being natural, human. Like if you're fighting, you're fighting. And they know why you're fighting. They know why you're stressed. Like we would go to the supermarket and I'm like, mommy, can I get this? No, that's too expensive. We can't afford that now. Uh, maybe something smaller. Or when I when we can, I'm like, oh, today you can get that toy that you wanted, which you couldn't afford that day. Today you can get it. So does that mean we have money? Like we have enough to get that one. So yeah. So like I am a real. I have a realistic approach towards life. I won't gloss off over things, but I discuss them with my children. Even Jack, I discuss things with him. And uh, yeah. So they brought me breakfast in bed with a balloon, and it was put in a box which was sealed, and there was a card which was cut into a heart. He couldn't cut perfectly, but bless him, he made the best effort, got me that breakfast in bed on Mother's Day, and I think also on my birthdays. So those are some of the things which I really miss and I struggle with. Like on Mother's Day, on my birthday, I'm like, if I was here, I would have got breakfast in bed. I don't know whether I would, but I want to believe I would have. Um, I think I just want to say that um, through my experiences, I believe in humanity. I believe in people, in, in, in people coming together. 
And that is why what I am doing, I'm not doing like an isolated thing. I'm not trying to sell everything that I have because whatever I have might not even amount to what people can give when we each give something little because I might sell all my property, all the things I have, all my clothes and end up getting maybe 200,000. But with everyone chipping in every little thing, that's how we were able to get over 30 million for Al's treatment. And that is how we're going to get, hopefully, lots and lots of money for Faraja to help all those other children out there needing help fight cancer. So please, if you're listening to this, help a child fighting cancer. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Oh my goodness. Esther was just so inspiring. So inspiring. Sitting across her and hearing all the work she's doing now in terms of raising awareness and funds for children who are battling cancer and using her pain and kind of like transforming that. I think I said this in the last episode. I'm not a parent. And so sometimes I forget about that dynamic. I've thought about as a person with parents losing them and, and I've lost both my parents. So I think I fully understood that type of parent-child trauma or grief from that perspective. And I'd never thought about it from this perspective. And oh my goodness, like, I mean, I don't want to say it out loud because I don't want to invite it. But like, it's like losing the closest I can come to that is is losing like any of my nieces or my nephew. So I can only imagine if, if that's your child. Oh, oh. And so for her to take that pain, transform it into something powerful is just something else. I loved when she said she believes in humanity. I truly connected with that because I believe it so much. I'm constantly saying that I still think there is still a lot of kindness and a lot of good things in humanity, even though what gets amplified is all the batshit crazy shit we do. But yeah, I still believe in the good in people, even though there are moments that it's cost me, but I want to believe we're still good, you know? And I, I have also experienced it and listening to how people were there for Esther, I'm like, wow, that's powerful, you know? I like that she's found an outlet for her grief and so early in the journey as well. I'm almost envious of that because I think my greatest irritation in my grief journey is I thought I was making so much progress over the past decade, but I was really just running away from facing grief and acknowledging the loss. So the faster I see others do that, the more happy I am for them because I guess then it gets not easier to navigate but clearer actually the word is clearer to navigate so please make sure you connect with Esther she's constantly fundraising for cancer awareness as she said especially in the lead up to September which is child cancer awareness month I've put a link to her Instagram in the show notes connect with her there I've also put a link in the show notes to Faraja in case you know somebody who can benefit from the work that they do or you want to support them. It's farajacancersupport.org. All of those links are in the show notes. If you are in Kenya and you want to catch us, we are also on Trace FM every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fridays at 1 p.m. 
just go to traceradio.co.ke to stream. And as I said earlier, 26th, I'm so excited. 26th of August, Legally Clueless Live. Three of our most amazing storytellers are going to be live on stage with me. Kazo, and we're going to catch up with the next chapter of her story. So we listened to the story about the 75,000 bob curtains, heartbreak, and trying to figure out how she can fall back in love with herself so that she can get into healthy relationships. So it would be amazing to catch up with where she is now. I know very many people are just like, did you get the curtains back? We can ask her then. Washura is also going to be there, which is amazing. He talks about being in a toxic relationship, getting out of that, getting an ADHD diagnosis while working a government job. And because of that, facing a disciplinary board and then navigating into a new relationship. And it's going to be awesome finding out the next chapter of his story. And Rosalyn, who's one of my favorite people in the world, she's just so smart. If you remember her story on her diary being returned, can you imagine that they're diary return ceremonies? You know, sometimes I feel like a society doesn't like us women. I don't get it. Like, that is bananas. But going through that, getting into another relationship that sounded like she had found her best friend and then he died. And she's got such beautiful views on relationships and very open-minded, which is so refreshing. So refreshing, especially from an older African woman. Very open-minded, very beautiful things I personally learned from her in terms of relationships and spirituality. So they will be on stage. Tickets are a thousand bob. Grab your tickets now because we're limiting the number of audience members so that we're not too many and we're not too crammed. So head over to hasselsasa.com or go to our website, which is legallycluelessafrica.com. Grab your tickets there, 1,000 Bob, 26th August, Baraza Media Lab. I can't wait to see you at Legally Clueless Live. In the meantime, this is what's coming up in next week's episode. When I went back, I was like, I need to connect with other like-minded people. And so I connected with a, a monastery in London. And it's a very, very nice monastery. I don't know if you know this guy called Jay Shetty. Yes, so Jay Shetty actually lived in that same monastery for around five years before. And then right when I was coming in, he was getting out. And I even got to connect with his mentor, which actually shared the same mentor, he's an amazing personality. And so I met with these individuals and I just started practicing and embracing these teachings and kind of living them. You know, so they embrace stuff like vegetarianism, the concept of simple living, having compassion towards other living beings. So I started getting more and more into it. Then when I committed my heart, to this and I was like you know what I'm gonna make this step I remember I first called my mom that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself I'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode <laughs>